Imagine 500 angry fighters coming into your neighborhood, burning down houses and killing your neighbors who were Christians. What would you do? Where would you go? That's exactly what happened to our Christian brothers and sisters in the middle belt of Nigeria last June when jihadis from the Fulani tribal group attacked multiple Christian villages. But even in the midst of those attacks and the aftermath, God is at work, and Nigerian Christians are showing great faithfulness and courage. We're going to talk about those stories right now on the Voice of the Martyrs radio network. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton, and our guest this week is Brother Sean. Sean is one of our one-name guests here on VOM Radio. We will not share his last name for his security, Sean is the Africa Regional Director for The Voice of the Martyrs, so he oversees all of our work assisting persecuted believers on the continent of Africa. Sean, welcome back to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thanks, Todd. It's good to be here. Let's start just at a very basic level. Tell us about the attacks that happened at the end of June in the middle belt of Nigeria. Yeah, it happened uh, kind of over a weekend, June 23rd and 24. I was getting texts from our team on the ground over that weekend. I mean, the Fulani have been attacking all year long. We had attacks at the end of 2017. We've had several attacks in 2018, but this attack was one of the larger attacks we've seen. It lasted for two days, as you uh, mentioned, maybe over over 500 Fulani involved in these attacks, multiple villages, and a conservative estimate saying maybe 200. Uh, believers were killed in this attack. We think it could be a lot closer to, to 500 or even more. And one of the reasons we don't know is just because immediately after the attacks, you know, we have we have video of people loading bodies into the back of pickup trucks, and they're taking them to to mass graves or wow. burning them in, in mass heaps. And so, trying to sort out even how many people were killed in an attack like this is. Is extremely difficult, but just um, just a horrendous attack where men, women, and children were killed. Some still suffering in hospitals from gunshot wounds and machete wounds. So whole entire villages, you know, burned to the ground. Um, just just a, a horrible, almost horrible attack. overwhelming. I it, mean, it just is talking about it, it's overwhelming. Yeah. Were there some of the stories that you heard, and I think of you reading texts through that weekend and then seeing reports in the days afterwards, were there some particular stories from the Christians that just grabbed a hold of you and really moved you? Yeah, I think I think some of what moved me, we haven't gotten as much detail as maybe we, we have with some of our um, folks that we, we help with on in a, in a typical way, and it's just because there's so much chaos right now. So, so we're getting reports of stories, but they're maybe not as detailed as some reports we get when we're when we're able to help on an individual basis. But just the children involved in it, I think, has been 
really hard to deal with. We've uh, we've talked about Dalo, a young eight-year-old boy who you know is suffering from second-degree burns, and it's just been amazing to see him praying and praying for healing for himself and for other patients in the hospital, but also actively praying for his persecutors. And that's just an amazing story. Think about that. If you're listening right now, just pause and think about that for a minute. An eight-year-old boy horribly burned, his family was killed, and he's praying for the people who are doing this, the people who are attacking him. That when I think about that level mm. of faith in an eight-year-old boy, it just is mind-blowing to me. It really is. And it's common. I mean, the, this is, as I say, some of these people, it's not their first rodeo. I mean, they've they've suffered before, and they're continuing to suffer, and are, are trusting God through it. But um, when I received the report about Dalo, you know, along with that, a, a two-year-old Melody uh, I had a report that she's improving and starting to take liquids, who was affected by the attack. Sylvia, also two years old, stabbed on the neck, hand, and abdomen, that she was smiling and, and playing when we visited yesterday at the hospital. Ten-year-old uh, Gift is still struggling with the pain of the gunshot wound, but is a strong and brave little girl. And so just, just to get those reports of some of the youngest uh, most vulnerable members of our of our persecuted family who are suffering that way. It's it's uh, it, it really touched me. Yeah. Let's talk about the Fulani. I, I think the tendency in the news coverage about these attacks, when there was news coverage, and we'll we'll mm, talk a little yeah. bit about that too. But the tendency is Fulani herdsmen attacked these villages. The news kind of paints this as a as a land dispute. You know, it's the, it's the herdsmen versus the farmers. There's a lot more to it than that, though, isn't there? Kind of talk a little bit about what motivates these attacks. And in this case, there was a group that took credit for the attacks. They yeah, publicly absolutely. said, "Hey, we're yeah. the guys who did this, and here's why." Yeah, and and there is there is a real sense in which you have uh, a grazing herdsman community who are are. Are largely Muslim, and then you have a farming community that's largely Christian, and you know, just like in the Old West, you have the free grazers and the farmers, and you know, they don't get along, and that's historically that has been a part of it, and so we, I don't want to downplay that, but it's changed dramatically, as you as you said. I mean, we have a group called the Fulani National Movement who have actually taken responsibility for the attack. They've been very clear about their motives and uh, about what their agenda is in Nigeria. And it's to, one, if anything happens to anybody in their tribe, they're going to retaliate. They're going to retaliate threefold. It's their goal to take the Middle Belt. Plateau State, they said, is, is theirs. It's their God-given territory by Allah, and that they're going to take it by any means possible. And, um, and that they have a, a divine mission to drive out the kafir, the infidels. And so, um, so they've been very clear in their motive of, of killing Christians, of driving out Christians, implementing Sharia law, and of taking uh, the middle belt for Allah. And so this is, it's, it's clearly jihad. It's, it's clearly a religious war. And, you know, we do read in the news sometimes, you know, a, a Fulani loses his cow or finds it dead. And um, maybe maybe somebody really did a bad actor killed their cow or something like that. But then the retaliation from that is we're going to burn an entire village yeah. and kill a hundred people. There are 
some sins on both sides, but there is a clear agenda by the Fulani. And so I think we can definitively say that, that this is jihad and that this is a war on Christians and, and why the media, when we have all of this evidence, is still trying to play this out as just two groups that can't get along or trying to make it a dispute between farmers and herdsmen. Um, there's just too much evidence. Well, in their statement said a couple of things. It said, we're fighting the enemies of Allah. Right. So clearly a religious motivation there. The other thing it said that I thought was chilling is our men are still ready to fight. Right. We're going to do this again. Yeah. Uh, it was a promise of more of these kind of attacks. And so that's kind of the bad news. But but before we get too far away from that, there's also yeah. good news yeah. among the Fulani. Tell us the good news. The good news is that the Lord's been doing an incredible work among the Fulani for really about 15 years. As late as the, the late 90s, early 2000s, there were not many Fulani believers at all, almost 100% Muslim. And in the last 15 years, the Lord has just been drawing Fulani to himself. Nigeria alone and the Fulani Christian Fellowship, over 35 members of that. So we we just see the Lord doing an amazing thing. And that's Are Fulani. those 35 churches? Like Those groups? are 35,000 Christians oh, wow. in what we know to be at least 2,000 plus um, house churches that are meeting together regularly, faithfully. And that's Nigeria alone. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the Fulani are scattered across West Africa, across the Sahel, countries like Niger, Cameroon, Mali, Senegal. And we're just seeing the same thing happen all across the Fulani population uh, across Africa. So it's really exciting. That is very exciting. So when you read about Fulani Muslims, uh, just keep in mind, just in Nigeria, 35,000 Fulani Christians, people who have left Islam behind are following Jesus Christ. I remember when I was in Nigeria back in 2013, uh, I met one of those Fulani Christians Mm -hmm. and uh, his favorite thing to do was sit down with a mullah one-on-one mm-hmm. and, and open the Bible and open the Quran and just have a conversation. He said, that's my favorite thing to do in the whole world, I think. Right. I like that well, guy. Well, that's an exciting <laughs> thing. We've gotten to be a part of VOM, of, of actually being a part of that movement, of supporting uh, Fulani evangelists. We, for years, have been distributing solar audio Bibles to nomadic Fulani so they can listen to the scriptures as they're out grazing, that they can gather together and and Bible listening groups together. And as Fulani are coming to faith in Christ, they're being persecuted too. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're supporting over 300 Fulani widows wow. who are have lost husbands um, because of persecution, um, who've been, you know, ousted from their families. Uh, we're supporting MBBs who have come out of a Fulani background, who are uh, staying in VM-supported safe houses. And so so they're, they're persecutors, but they're also uh, people who have converted and uh, who are faithful followers of Christ from the Fulani who are themselves being persecuted. Absolutely. And, and so we definitely want to remember them and pray for them. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Brother Sean. He is the Africa Regional Director for the Voice of the Martyrs. And we're talking about recent attacks in the middle belt of Nigeria, Sean, when an attack like this happens, and we talked about the attack, we're talking hundreds killed, literally thousands displaced, some say ten to 12,000 people displaced. What does the government of Nigeria do when an attack like this happens? Or, or maybe the question is, do they do anything 
How do they help? That's been a frustration of, of folks on the ground is that the, the government has just been slow to respond. Oftentimes when Fulani attacks have happened, even though the, there's a military presence in the area or a police presence, they sort of, they turn away. They're unable They're not to there. make it. They're <laughs> unable to, yeah, to make it in time. And so it's, it's no secret the president of Nigeria right now, President Buhari, is a Fulani. He's, he's very sympathetic <laughs> to his own tribe. So the, do the Christians feel forsaken in that situation, or do they just feel like, you know, our only protection is the Lord? What, how do they respond to that? Yeah, I think that's it. I, I think they, they do feel that, that their government ha, has let them down, but they're not trusting ultimately in their government. They're trusting in the Lord. And, and, and of course, after an attack or something like this, the president's going to come in and he's going to make a show of compassion and things like that. But just just like this, we've, we've had clear statements by the Fulani National Movement that they were responsible for these attacks, but there's been no arrests. And we have names on this document that's been put forth. Wow. Contrast that with recently some young men, some vigilantes, as they call them, in a village actually protected themselves from some Fulani and, uh, and killed some Fulani who came in to kill them. Those men were arrested, their guns were confiscated, all of these things. And so, you know, the believers there are saying, why, why is the government coming down hard on people who are trying to protect themselves and they're not coming down hard on the actual people committing these crimes? And we know who they are. And so it, it's been a frustration for sure. So that's how the government responds. How is VOM responding? And I know in these recent attacks, VOM is helping a lot of people affected by this. Yeah. So, you know, immediately we go in and we try to meet the needs in, in the midst of chaos, you know, and so we have folks in the hospital, we're helping with medical needs as, as people are displaced and find themselves in IDP camps. Uh, then we're going in and we're trying to provide mattresses and mosquito nets and food and just the basic needs. Think about that though. If if you had to leave your house tonight because someone came and burned it to the yeah. ground, that's the stuff you would need. You yeah. Need a place to sleep, food to eat. Right. How am I going to protect my family? How right. am I going to not get malaria? Right. And 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 so we want to meet those, you know, those basic needs right up front. And then we, through time, get get to know the situation. We get to hear some of these individual accounts that have happened in these attacks. And then, and then we come in with more focused, more detailed, longer projects for some of those who have been affected. What are the biggest challenges, especially in that early stage where it's chaos, mm-hmm. what are the biggest challenges to our, our contacts who are doing this work? Uh, this one in particular has been how close it happened to our team. This was about eight miles away from our base of operations. And so a lot of our personnel themselves were, were running, hiding, were, were wow. part of those who were trying to flee what was So it's not like we're going to go help these Christians who got displaced. We're in danger of being displaced ourselves. Right. And then, and then you have a whole group of people who we're helping or had been helping previously, uh, some of these widows dating all the way back to older attacks by Boko Haram, who are in the area, now they're fleeing for their lives. And so we're, we're trying to get our team settled. Then we're trying to get people that we're already helping find out where they're at and get location on them and, and see how they're doing and get them settled. And then now we're trying to go out into the field and 
address all of these uh, new victims who who are fleeing. And some of them, we got a story of a, of a young girl who got to an IDP camp, uh, thought her family had made it, only to find out a few days later that her mom, dad, all of her siblings are, are killed. But this is what happens in these attacks. They're, the family is dispersed. They're separated. And, and so loved ones don't even know where each other are. And so it takes time just to assess wow. all that and get everybody back together. I, I'm floored by the idea that some of these people, this, like you say, this is not their first rodeo. They've, right. they've lost family members in Boko Haram attacks. Yeah. They've kind of rebuilt their lives a little bit. And now here it comes again. Right. They're forced to flee again. Right. I, I just, my heart breaks for them because mm-hmm. how do you how do you bounce back again after you've already put everything you had into bouncing back the first time right how do we how does our staff there try to encourage try to help try to come alongside those people yeah we i mean i i'm i'm very thankful we have some of our folks on the ground have are not just spiritually mature but have counseling backgrounds and so we're really taking the opportunity to, to to listen, to to pray, to minister. You know, it's it's not just about giving aid. It's it's right. not just about helping the physical need, but we really want to minister their spiritual needs. The cool part of that is, these are people that we know and right. have walked with before. Right. It's yeah. not like this is the first time we've ever met this person. No, we've been helping them. Right. And now it's our opportunity to help them and our blessing to help them again. So, And, and I think that long-term standing with them means a lot. And I, oh, I, yeah. I, I think I shared a, a story of a widow, maybe even, even on this program before, who had, you know, she was married and um, had four children. Boko Haram attacked their family. Her husband was killed. She fled with her four children. She eventually remarried again, had another child. Now she has five children. Boko Haram attacks again. Her husband was killed again. And she fled to the mountains. We actually supported her in a distribution we did on the mountain where, where these people were literally starving, trying to escape from Boko Haram. She was a part of that. We got to know her during that time. And then later was able to come down to the mountain, rebuild her life, start farming again. And then the Fulani attacked, and they burned her crops, burned her house, and she fled again. And so this is, this is the third time uh, that she's been involved in an attack. And... Uh, but we've stood with her multiple times, and, and I think that speaks volumes, too, just to know that that there's a, a Christian family out there that's going to walk with you and, and encourage you through these times. And the fact that she stays faithful mm-hmm. through all of that, mm-hmm. wow, what an amazing faithfulness. One of the things that I've been curious about in these attacks is is a little bit of a change of tactics in that... We're seeing the Fulani come in and attack the village and burn the homes and kill the Christians and then not like pull back and disappear into the bush, but actually stay there, like take territory. Talk about how that's different and talk about why that's significant. Yeah. So as you said, you know, usually they they may burn the village. A lot of times they'll burn and it's, it's very clear they'll burn Christian homes, burn the churches, and then skip over the mosque, skip over any Muslim homes if it's a mixed population. But we've been very surprised recently to see them sort of drive people out, shoot them, sometimes not burn the homes, and then take up residency. That is new. And, um, you know, I've, I've had people sort of lay out for me for years that, you know, that the goal of all of this is to take 
the middle belt in Nigeria, and uh, Jos is a city in the middle belt. It's kind of the, the buckle of the middle belt, and people have been telling me for years, the ultimate goal is to take Jos, and it's, it's, to, it's to drive the Christians out, it's to get a Muslim majority, it's to implement Sharia law. And I was a little little skeptical of that, to be honest. But now you can see it's it's really like a noose tightening around Joss, and it gets closer and it gets closer and it gets closer. And, uh, and, and these, some of these attacks were just right on the outskirts. They're right on the outskirts, and then now you have people taking up residency there. You can see the city being encircled mm-hmm. by, by radical Muslims. And the goal is push all the Christians further south, push them out of here? Right. How? Yeah. And, in, and I mean, Joss has historically been uh, a city with a large Christian pop- population, a city where it, it sort of is a, a launching point for Christian efforts uh, across the Middle Belt and into the north. It's a strategic city. And, and would they be want a great it. loss they want it. <laughs> for, yeah. to the Christian community if it goes that direction. Absolutely. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Brother Sean. He is the Africa Regional Director for the Voice of the Martyrs. Sean, as we finish up, we like to equip our listeners to pray. Mm -hmm. So first, how do we pray for our Nigerian family members who've been affected by these attacks? We're talking, again, hundreds killed, 10,000-plus displaced just in this latest attack at the end of June. How do we pray for them? Yeah, I mean, I pray just for for perseverance, for for stamina. I mean, that's something I just can't imagine. Is is we can't imagine going through one attack. But again, having this happen multiple, multiple times in in your life, in the life of your family, for it to happen, and one part of your family was killed in a previous attack, and the other part of your family was killed in the most recent attacks. And the, the promise of more attacks yeah. and the inability of the government to address them. It, it would be so easy to become completely despondent. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, just praying that they would find encouragement in the Lord, that they would have uh, just grace and stamina, that they would uh, be able to maintain some joy in the Lord. It, it's hard to imagine having joy in these situations. We see it. We see it. And young Dalo, who's praying for his persecutors, yeah. that at their hearts wouldn't be come embittered, that they would pray for their persecutors, and and that they would believe that God would work all things together for their good and for His glory. I mean, in addition to just you know that God would meet their needs and that He would use us as as a means to meet those needs. And one of the reasons we're talking about this is because Voice of the Martyrs is helping. So far, as I understand it, Sean, about 1,300 yeah, families. Yeah, most recent attacks, we're helping over 1,300 families. So that's more than 5,000 people that Voice of the Martyrs is directly assisting with, like we talked about, sleeping mats and mosquito nets and food. And mm-hmm. so if you'll come to vomradio.net, I'll give you a link. If you want to contribute and help with some of that, uh, we would be happy to have you be a part of that help. Sean, thank you for your work on behalf of Voice of the Martyrs and on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Africa. Uh, and thanks for being with us this week on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you for having me, Todd. I want to encourage you, if you're listening 
this week to pray for the situation in Nigeria. We mentioned you can come to vomradio.net and give if you want to help. Also, when you come to vomradio.net this week, we have a special opportunity for you to connect directly with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Nigeria. We want to invite you to write a note of encouragement that we will deliver to a Christian in Nigeria. You can let them know that you're praying for them. You can let them know that they are not forgotten, they're not alone, that other members of the body of Christ are with them and and standing with them. Many of the people in Nigeria read English, so this is really kind of a unique opportunity for us as Christians here in the U.S. to connect directly with Christians in Nigeria. So come to vomradio.net. We will provide you a link. Again, we'll give you that link when you come visit us, vomradio.net. You're going to want to be back with us next week here on VOM Radio. We're going to introduce you to a brand new video-based small group curriculum study that will allow you to study the life of Richard and Sabina Wormbrand and learn from them. I even got to play a part in this too, so I'm excited to tell you about that next week right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.